Well, hey, and welcome to the Quad City Podcast, where we are on mission to make more and better disciples of Jesus everywhere, always. We're so glad you're joining us in that today. Well, before we dive into today's sermon, would you do me a quick favor? Would you go ahead and open your app store and search Quad City Christian Church? Download our app because it's the best way to stay connected with what's happening here at Quad City. If you're new joining us for the first time, click that new here form as we'd love to reach out and connect with you. You could also submit prayer requests and even give on that same app. It's the best way to stay connected here at Quad City. Well, hey, now that that's out of the way, let's go ahead and dive into our sermon from Sunday. We hope you enjoy. My name is Jason. I'm one of the pastors here, and we are honored that you have chosen to start your week off by worshiping with us here at Quad City Christian. I want to welcome all of those who are joining us online from whenever and wherever you are. We're so grateful to have you as part of the Quad City family. And officially, for the first time at the grand opening, I want to welcome all of those at our PV campus. So welcome in. We're so grateful to have you here. So excited about what God's going to do through you in the town of Prescott Valley. We've got an amazing team and hundreds of volunteers that have launched out and so grateful for you and just can't wait to see how God continues uh, to uh, multiply your influence across Prescott Valley. It's so exciting today. It is a good day for us. Uh, Let me share Uh, Two reasons why it's a good day. One, we've got our PV launch. And the second is because today is our 100th anniversary as a church, which is really, really exciting. And so we'll talk about that again in just a moment. Uh, I do have one quick announcement that I want to share. Next week, we're going to be getting a brand new series on the parables of Jesus. And there's a cute little byline here says that it's more than a story. A lot of us know these as stories that Jesus told. They're much more than stories. Many of you know these stories, uh, but there is so much more to them than just a bunch of stories. And so we're going to dig in for several weeks uh, looking at some of these parables, and I really hope uh, that you'll come back and join us for that. Well, again, today is a big day. So we're doing our PV launch. We're doing our 100th year anniversary, and we get to celebrate those on the same day. Many churches, most churches, don't get to celebrate either of those things. We get to do them both on the same day. And I think, how cool is it for us that we get to celebrate uh, our second century of ministry on the same day we're launching our second campus? So it's really cool, and I'm so grateful for you guys to be a part of it. But here's what I know. Most of you that are gathered today, um, when I talk about a 100-year anniversary, it doesn't really do anything for you. You just don't get very excited about that. Because the reality is, most of us, it's just part of human nature, is nothing really matters to us until we show up. Right? Right? Anything that came before us wasn't really that important. It didn't come important until I got here. And so for most of you, here's what I know. Most of you, 
uh, both in PV and here in Prescott, you've only been connected to this church for less than five years. In fact, let's do a little straw poll here today. If you have been connected to this church, been attending regularly for less than five years, would you just raise your hand? Go ahead and raise your hand. Look around. See, that's most of the people in the room. Now, a couple of things. One, I'm so excited. I know some of you in PV are like, like today. It's like five minutes. I've never... So grateful for you. You just need to know, those in this room, uh, you're the reason we built this building three years ago, was to, to make room for you to have a place to come and worship Jesus, get connected to Christ and his church. Those of you in Prescott Valley who raised your hand, you're the reason why we're launching this second campus, because we want to have you, give you a chance to connect to Christ and his church. So if you've been here less than five years, we're so grateful for you. Now, the anniversary celebration probably doesn't mean much to you, but I think it is important for us, even for those of you who haven't been around for very long, I think it's important for us to be reminded that this thing didn't start with us, like any of us. Like we're here today standing on a foundation that other people have built. We are here because God was working in and through people long before we existed, and we are the beneficiaries of that. Now, some of those others who were working, God was working through those others. Some of those others are still here. And so I just want to take a moment and recognize a few of you. If you've been part of this church for, let's say, 10 years or more, would you just stand up where you are? If you've been here for 10 years or more, yes, thank you. Stay standing, stay standing. You are the reason this season of ministry is here. You're the reason we're able to build this building. You were the reason that we're launching this campus. Um, if you were here for, let's say, 15, don't sit down. If you were here 15 years or more, stay standing. 15 years. Yes. How about 20? In 20 years or more? 20. 25. Okay. One couple. No, 25. Got one, Brady Mingarelli. Yes. Guessing you had a hard time remembering 25 years ago. So grateful for all of you and for, for all of those who came before us, who have built this foundation that we are now standing on. Um, Again, I think it's important for us to know a little bit of the story that we're joining. And so here's what I'm going to do. Uh, we're going to share just a little bit of the history of, of the last hundred years. So I want to take a moment just to invite you into the story. You, you don't know the story, but you're being invited into the story. So we're going to show a quick video that helps you understand a little bit about what happened before you showed up. The dream for a Christian church in Prescott began in 1910 in the lobby of the Brinkmeyer Hotel on Montezuma Street. It was there that a group of people gathered in a revival meeting began praying for God to ignite a spiritual movement in Prescott. Over the next 12 years, several meetings and surveys were conducted in hopes of establishing a permanent church. It wasn't until Thomas Adams, who was sent by the Clark Fund, which was a fund devoted to the establishment of New Testament churches. Thomas Adams was able to come in and lead the way and rally those people and finally establish a Christian church. 
And on February 22nd, 1922, the first Christian church of Prescott was formed with 52 charter members. On March 20th, 1922, a parcel of land was purchased in the middle of the block located at Willis and Alarkin, and work on a church building began immediately. A bungalow-style building was erected and dedicated Easter Sunday, April 19, 1922. That building became the home of the church for nearly 20 years. The church later bought the west side of the lot of Willis and Alarkin, and Pastor Howard Hayes led the church in a building campaign, and a new worship center was dedicated July 27, 1941. The original church building was then renovated and turned into classroom space. On November 1st, 1946, the church was incorporated under the name First Christian Church of Prescott. Nearly eight years later, on October 6th, 1954, the church name was changed to Willis Street Church of Christ. The name was changed again on January 17th, 1982 to become the Prescott Christian Church. In June of 1986, five acres of land were purchased on Senator Highway for future church growth. A building campaign was begun and ground was broken on March 5, 1989. The Willis Street property was quickly sold and the church met for a season in Elks Theater while construction continued on the Senator Highway property. The first service in the new building on Senator Highway was held Easter Sunday, April 1st, 1990. As the church continued to grow, the need for more children's and administration space grew. So in 1998, the church launched what was called the Building the Family of God campaign to raise funds for an additional building on the Senator Highway campus. And the current children's and administration building was completed in 1999. Throughout the 2010s, the church was experiencing the greatest growth in its history thus far, hosting four services each Sunday in its worship center. The leadership recognized the need to expand once again. And so in 2013, the Go Big campaign was launched. And over the next several years, the church raised money and drew up plans for a brand new auditorium that would double the capacity of the current worship center. Ground was broken on the new facility on May 7, 2017. And the first service was held 18 months later on November 25, 2018. The church continued to grow with the opening of its new auditorium, as did the vision that God was giving the leadership of Prescott Christian Church. And so in early 2021, the elders determined that God was calling Prescott Christian Church to launch out and create a second campus to reach people in the neighboring community of Prescott Valley, which is experiencing exponential growth. The vision was shared with the congregation in the fall of 2021. And an amazing team of staff and volunteers began working on creating a second campus. The new campus inspired a name change that reflected the expanded vision of the church. And Quad City Christian Church was adopted December 12, 2021. Quad City Prescott Valley officially launches February 20th, 2022, coinciding with the 100th year anniversary of the church. 
In the past hundred years, this church has had 22 lead pastors, met in seven different facilities, been known by five different names, celebrated hundreds of baptisms, had tens of thousands of people who have worshiped God while participating in its ministries. And we have never been more united, more excited about what God is doing among us. Our mission is clear. We exist to make more and better disciples of Jesus everywhere, always. Let that be the legacy that we leave for those who come behind us. Here's to the next hundred years. That is the story that you are now a part of. It is now our chapter, and we are so grateful for each of you who are raising your hand and say, I am in for what God wants to do next. That is a simple timeline of our history, right? It tells some of the highlights of our story, but it cannot, a video like that cannot tell the whole story. It just can't. It, it doesn't tell you of all of the lives changed through the last century. It doesn't document the marriages that have been saved. It can't retell of the relationships that were built in Sunday school classes and life groups and on mission trips and women's ministry events. It can't depict the growth that have happened in children's and students as faith has been poured into them throughout the decades. It can't articulate the way that God shows up in Christ every week to meet people here and help them take small incremental steps to becoming more like Jesus. A video like that can't do that. It can't tell you of the hundreds of baptisms, the endless child dedications, the weddings and the funerals and the millions of dollars that have been collected and sent out for kingdom purposes. Video can't do that. But here's the question for us today. I mean, we could sit and think about and talk about and reflect on the last hundred years, and that would be fun. I'm so grateful for it. But here's the question for us today. How do we make sure that the story that has been written and that we are still writing, how do we make sure that this is still a story worth telling a hundred years from now? How do we make sure that this church is a church worth celebrating a hundred years from now. That's what I want us to talk about today. If you have your Bibles, go ahead and turn them on or turn them to Revelation chapter 1. That's where we're going to begin today, Revelation chapter 1. I know some of you, you, got, like, you hear the word revelation, your mind goes to like the apocalypse and dragons and moon turning to blood and the four horsemen and... 666 and the beast and, and it's all in there. Um, but before you get to all of that, there's a part of the book of Revelation that, that we sometimes neglect. That sometimes doesn't get the play that it should. At the beginning of the book of Revelation, there, there are seven letters that are written to seven ecclesias, seven churches, seven gatherings of the people of God. There are seven letters written by Jesus to seven specific churches. These specific churches were all found in what at that time was called Asia Minor. We call it modern day Turkey. And there were seven cities there and Jesus writes a letter to each one of these churches individually. 
And as I thought about what do I want to share with, to our church on this special day, I, I thought maybe I should just let Jesus share what he shares. This, this text is the only place in Scripture we actually get to hear Jesus himself speaking to individual ecclesias just like ours. That's what Jesus is doing. He's talking to a church just like this one. So I want to take what Jesus says and maybe find a few things in it that might apply not just to those churches, but to this church from Jesus himself. Now, before we get to the content of the letters, I do want to share a little bit of the context of the letters because I think it has something really important to share with us today. So beginning Revelation chapter 1. It says, on the Lord's day, I was in the Spirit. So this is the Apostle John who is writing this. He's the one that received this revelation from Jesus. He says, on the Lord's day, I was in the Spirit, and I heard behind me a loud voice like a trumpet, which said, write on a scroll what you see and send it to the seven churches, to Ephesus, Smyrna, Pergamum, Thyatira, Sardis, Philadelphia, and Laodicea. So John, Sunday morning, worshiping the Lord, Jesus speaks to him. He hears the voice. And Jesus essentially says, grab a pen, piece of paper. I want you to dictate. I got some letters that I want you to send to some churches. Specifically, the church in Ephesus, Smyrna, Pergamum, Thyatira, Sardis, Philadelphia, and Laodicea. These were seven cities. They all had a church. And Jesus says, I've got a word for them. Write it down. I want you to send them some letters. I turned around to see the voice that was speaking to me. And when I, when I turned, I saw seven golden lampstands. And among the lampstands was, one, was someone like a son of man, dressed in a robe reaching down to his feet, and with a golden sash around his chest. The hair on his head was white like wool, as white as snow, and his eyes were like blazing fire. His feet were like bronze glowing in the furnace. His voice was like the sound of rushing waters. In his right hand he held seven stars and coming out of his mouth was a sharp double-edged sword. His face was like the sun shining in all its brilliance. So again, just put yourself there. John hears the voice. Grab a pen, piece of paper. John grabs his pen, piece of paper and he says, I turn around and I look and what does he see? He sees Jesus in all of his power, in all of his glory. He sees the resurrected Jesus, eyes like fire, feet that are glowing, face like the, like the sun, a sword coming out of his mouth. He sees Jesus and all of his power and all of his splendor. And Jesus says, I want you to write some letters for me. He sees Jesus. And it says, he sees Jesus walking around seven lampstands. There are seven lampstands, and Jesus is among the lampstands. Jesus gives these instructions. Write, therefore, what you have seen, what is now, and what will take place later. The mystery of the seven stars that you saw in my right hand and of the seven golden lampstands are this. You want to know about the stars and the lampstands? Jesus says, I'll tell you. The seven stars are the angels of the seven churches, and the seven lampstands are the seven churches. John sees Jesus, the resurrected, powerful Jesus, standing among the lampstands. And Jesus looks at John and says, you want to know about these lampstands? Let me tell you, these lampstands are the churches. What, what you're seeing is, is not just a lamp 
what you're seeing is an ecclesia. This is the church. This one is Ephesus and that one's Pergamum. There's Sardis, there's Thyatira, over here's Laodicea. You, you're seeing these are the churches. These are the churches. And I want to make sure that we get this today, church. Jesus is not distant, nor is he absent from his churches. He is intimately connected to his churches. Right now, there is a Quad City lampstand in the presence of Jesus. And I want you to see just how connected Jesus is to his churches. To Ephesus. Jesus said, write this to Ephesus. Tell them, I know your deeds, your hard work, your perseverance. I know that you cannot tolerate wicked people, that, you've, that you have tested those who claim to be apostles but are not and have found them false. You tell them, I know. Smyrna, I know your afflictions and your poverty, yet you are rich. I know about the slander of those who say they are Jews and are not, but are of the synagogue of Satan. To Pergamum, tell them, I know where you live, where Satan has his throne, yet you remain true to my name. You did not renounce your faith in me, not even in the days of Antipas, my faithful witness who is put to death in your city where Satan lives. Tell them, I know what happened. Tell them, in Thyatira, I know your deeds, your love, your faith, your service, your perseverance, that you are now doing more than you did at first. To Sardis say, I know your deeds, you have a reputation for being alive, but you're dead. So wake up, strengthen what remains and is about to die, for I have found your deeds unfinished in the sight of my God. To Philadelphia, write that I know your deeds. See, I've placed before you an open door that no one can shut. I know that you have little strength, yet, yet, you have kept my word. You've not denied my name. And to Laodicea say, I know your deeds, that you're neither hot nor cold, and I wish you were either one. To every church, Jesus says, start by telling them, I know. I know what's going on. I know the good things that you're going through. I know the way that you've kept going. I know how you haven't quit. I know how you kept fighting. And, and you can also tell them that I know when things aren't going good. I know when you're, you're, you're not following after me. I know when you're being complacent. You just tell them, I know. I know what's happening. And again, right now, in this moment, there is a lampstand that says Quad City on it. We are a lampstand in the presence of Jesus. He is walking around, manifesting his presence in this ecclesia. He was there on February 22nd, 1922, when a group of people gathered and this church was born. And he knows what's going on right here, right now. Both the good and the bad. And I hope that is both an encouragement to you. And I hope it is somewhat frightening to you. Today. Because he knows. He knows. Which brings us back to our question today. How do we make sure that Quad City, the story of the church, is a story worth telling a hundred years from now, knowing that Jesus knows. What should we be doing or what should we stop doing so that we can experience his power and his presence and his favor for the next hundred years? I have three things that I want to share with you 
that I think maybe help answer that question. And they all come specifically from these letters that Jesus wrote to these churches. I don't know what, what the letter to the church at Quad City would say, but I can guarantee that what he expected of those churches, he also expects of this church. And so I want to share with you three things that come right from, this, from these letters that I think if we're going to have a church worth celebrating 100 years from now, it's going to have to include these three things. And the first one actually comes from a rebuke that Jesus gave to the church of Ephesus. And here's what Jesus said to Ephesus. Yet I hold this against you. You have forsaken the love you had at first. Consider how far you have fallen. Repent and do the things you did at first. If we want to be a church that has a story worth celebrating a hundred years from now, then we have to be a church that puts first things first. And that is to love. we got to love. If we want to be a, a, have a story worth celebrating, then we, we have to be a church that is marked by love. Jesus was once asked, um, of all of the commands, there's 613 of them in the Old Testament. Of all of the commands, wh what's the most important command? And Jesus did not hesitate. He said, here's the most important command. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. And the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. There's nothing more important than this. You love God and you love people. This is the first and greatest commandment. Nothing else matters until we get that one right. We have to be a church that is marked by loving God and loving people. That's the first thing. And it, it's so important. Like there's nothing matters after that if you don't get that one right. The Apostle Paul would later write a letter to a church in the city of Corinth. And in that letter, he he addresses this issue about how important love is. And here's what he writes. Paul says, If I speak in the tongues of men or of angels, but do not have love, I'm only a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecy and could fathom all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have faith that can move mountains, but I have not love, I am nothing. If I give all I possess to the poor and give, give, my, give over my body to hardship that I may boast. But I do not have love. I gain nothing. How important is it? Paul says it this way. It doesn't matter what I say. It doesn't matter what I know. It doesn't matter what I believe. And it doesn't matter what I give. Even if I give all of my money and even my own life, none of it matters if I don't have love. Then at the end of the day, I gain nothing. No matter what you've said, no matter what you've come to know, no matter what you say you believe, no matter how much you give, none of it matters if you don't. Have love. Love of God and love of people. And somewhere along the way, the church of Ephesus forgot that. 
In fact, Jesus said to the church of Ephesus, you have forsaken your first love. Turned away from it, forsaken it. And I want you to see just how big a deal Jesus takes the forsaking of this love is. This is the consequence that Jesus offers up for the church in Ephesus. He says, consider how far you have fallen. Repent and do the things at first. And if you do not repent, I will come to you and remove your lampstand from its place. You want to know how big of a deal it is that Jesus' church be marked by love? He looks at a church of Ephesus and says, If you don't repent and get this one right, I will take your lampstand away. You can still gather up and you can still sing your songs and you can have somebody come teach you a lesson, makes you feel guilty and you walk away. Oh, that was so good. You can do all of that, but if you don't have love, you won't be my church. You can be a gathering of people, but you won't have a lampstand in my presence because there is no church of mine that is not first and foremost marked by love of God and love of people. Quad City, if we want to be a church that has a story worth celebrating a hundred years from now, we have to be a church that is marked by love. The love of God and the love of people. Which means that we have to be people who are marked by love of God and love of people. This is something that we should be doing corporately, but this is something we all have to do individually to figure out what does that mean for me? Have I lost my first love? What does it look like me to love God and to love people? Because I want to be a part of a church that loves God and loves people. So what does that mean for you to put this into practice? Here's the second thing. We've got to be marked by love. Here's the second one. We have to take our doctrine seriously. Like, we've got to take our doctrine seriously. Like, a lot of people want to take these two and kind of pit them against each other and say, well, there are some churches that we're just going to love people. We don't really care about what you believe or what you do. We're just going to love people. And there are other people who just say, well, no, 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 we're going to be legalistic and we're going to get all the rules right and we don't care to love people. And they want to pit these two against each other. These are not to be pitted against each other by the church of Jesus Christ. These two things go hand in hand. And Jesus talks a lot about this doctrine piece in these seven letters. Let me give you a couple of examples. To Ephesus, he says, but you have this in your favor. You blew the love part. Here's the one thing you're getting right. You hate the practice of the Nicolaitans, which I also hate. We'll talk about them in just a second. To Pergamum, he says, nevertheless, you, you've got the love piece right, but I have a few things against you. That there are some among you who hold to the teaching of Balaam, who taught, who taught Balak to entice the Israelites to sin so that they ate food, sacrificed to idols, and committed sexual immorality. To the church of Thyatira, he says, Nevertheless, I have this against you. You, church, tolerate that woman Jezebel, who calls herself a prophet. By, teaching, she, by her teaching, she misleads my servants into sexual immorality and to eating food sacrificed to idols. So Jesus gives us a few names here. Uh, the Nicolaitans and Balaam and, and that woman Jezebel. 
You just need to know all three of those camps that were infiltrating the church, doing teaching in the church, they, they were all in teaching the same thing. And for us to kind of understand it, we need to step back into the context for just a minute. We need to remember that these seven churches, they were all in, gen, in the Gentile world. They were in the Greco-Roman world. None of the people that were in these churches had parents who were Christians. These are all first-generation believers. Their parents weren't Christians. Their grandparents weren't Christians. They were all Gentiles. They weren't Jews. They didn't grow up with the Torah. They didn't have a Bible. These were all pagans. They all worshipped the gods of the, the Greeks and the Romans. Every one of these cities, Thyatira, Sardis, Pergamum, Ephesus, they all had these elaborate temples to the Roman gods. Temples to Artemis, to Epaphrodites, to Zeus, to Apollo. All of them had these big pagan temples in these cities. And part of your city identity was worshiping in these temples. And the worship in these temples would, would happen where you'd have these big feasts and people would bring their sacrifices and you'd sacrifice your feet, your, your, you'd offer your sacrifice to the God and they would cut them up and cook them up and everybody would eat in the feast. And you would also participate with, in your worship with some of the temple prostitutes as a way of honoring your God. That was normal everyday life for these people. That's what their parents did and their grandparents did. That was generational worship for them. And then all of a sudden they meet Jesus. They come in and they hear the word and they start following Jesus. But they're still living in this culture that still practices this way. And, and then what happened is some of these people in the church began to convince other people in the church, hey, we can still do that stuff. As long as you believe in Jesus, it's okay to still go to the feast. It's, still, it's okay to still eat the food. It's okay to enjoy the revelry of the moment with the temple prostitutes. All of that's fine as long as you still believe in Jesus. You can look like the culture as long as you claim to have faith. Does that sound familiar to anybody in here today? That's what was happening. The underlying issue is the people had convinced themselves and were convincing others it is okay to live like the world and still follow Jesus. To which Jesus writes in these letters unequivocally, no, 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 no. That is not how this works. You can't have your doctrine dictated by the world and still be a follower of mine. You can't have the sexual ethic of the world and be a follower of Jesus. You can't view marriage in the world that the world views as Use marriage and still be a follower of mine. You can't participate in the world's entertainment and still be a follower of mine. You can't view life of the unborn in the way that the culture views life of the unborn. You can't have the moral and ethical standards of the world and still claim to be a follower of mine. You can't just watch what they watch and listen to what they listen to and participate in what they participate in and still claim to be my disciple. If we allow the doctrines of the world to override the doctrines of Jesus, we will not last as a church of Jesus. We won't make it another hundred years. And in fact, again, listen to what Jesus says is going to happen to those in the church who are advocating this kind of mentality. 
to Pergamum. He says, repent therefore, otherwise I will soon come to you and will fight against them with the sword of my mouth. To those who neglected the love, Jesus says, I'll just, you won't be my church anymore and I'll walk away. To those who are not living what they say they believe, Jesus says, oh, I'll show up and I will fight you with the sword of my mouth. I will fight against you. I don't know if you know this church, this is not what you want. He continues to the church of Thyatira. I have given her time to repent of her immorality, but she's unwilling. So I will cast her on a bed of suffering. I will make those who commit adultery with her suffer intensely. Unless they repent of her ways, I will strike her children dead. Then all the churches will know that I am he who searches the hearts and minds. And I will repay each of you according to your deeds. Not according to your beliefs. Your deeds. Because what you say you believe, you better be living. And Jesus says, I will make them suffer. I will strike them. I will come and I will put their children to death. I'm telling you, it's so serious. And then all the churches, all the church, even the church in Quad City, all the churches will know that I am the one who searches the hearts and minds. I know what's happening here. And I will repay according to what your deeds have done. I hope you see how seriously Jesus takes this. That, that we have a doctrine and we have to live up to the standards that Jesus has set for us. And we can't allow, we can't allow our love of people to dictate the doctrine that we preach and practice. Again, people want to pit those things against each other. Well, I just want to love people. I don't care what they say. I don't care what they do. I just want to love people. Here's the truth. The most loving thing you can do for people is tell them the truth. The most loving thing I can do for you is to tell you the truth of what Jesus expects of his followers. It would be unloving of me to, to sit idly by and watch you destroy your life and not say anything out of my love for you. So, we want to have a church worth celebrating. One, we've got to be marked by love of God and love of people. And two, two, we have to take our doctrine seriously. And number three, we have to persevere. We have to persevere. We want a church to last for another hundred years. We have to persevere and keep following Jesus no matter how hard it gets. Because here's the truth. There are enemies that are going to come. There are enemies going to come from the outside. And there will be enemies that come up from the inside. There will be the enemies coming up in us. There will be suffering that will come in all kinds of shapes and forms that are going to make you want to quit. The only reason you need perseverance is because you want to quit. You don't have to quit the things that are easy. Nobody's ever had to persevere in keeping their ice cream diet alive. You don't have to work at that one. We have to persevere when everything in us wants to quit. And Jesus, all throughout these letters, Jesus implores his people, don't quit. He encourages people, don't quit. Look what he says. 
Ephesus, you have persevered. Keep it up. You have endured hardships for my name and you've not grown weary. Keep it up, church. To Smyrna, he says, do not be afraid of what you are about to suffer. I tell you, the devil will put some of you in prison to test you and you will suffer. You will suffer persecution for 10 days. But be faithful. Don't quit. Be faithful, even to the point of death. And I will give you life as the victor's crown. To Thyatira, he says, hold on. Hold on to what you have until I come. Don't drop it. Don't throw it away. Don't let it go. Hold on to what you have until I come. To the one who is victorious and does my will to the end. You can't quit you got to go to the end till he comes back. Hold on to what you have until I come to the one who is victorious and does my will to the end. I will give, the, give authority over the nations. You will get to reign with me. We're going to have to persevere. If we're going to have a church we're celebrating, we've got to know hardship is coming, persecution is coming, suffering is coming. And we got to declare now I will not quit, no matter how hard it gets. So there it is, church. We want to have a church we're celebrating in 100 years. We've got to be a church marked by love. We have to take our doctrine seriously, live what we say we believe, and we have to persevere. And this, this is how God changes the world. And this is what he's invited us to be a part of. It's our turn now to do this in our generation so that there is something to celebrate a hundred years from now. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we are grateful for those who have been steadfast before us. And my prayer today is that you would, you would show us what love looks like now. How do we love you and love people well now? And where is it that our doctrine doesn't align with our life? Where are we living one thing and and saying we believe something else? Convict us of that today. And give us steel in our spines as we declare we will not quit. But we will persevere to the end no matter what it costs. So that this church has a story to tell a hundred years from now. And it's in Jesus we pray. Amen. Amen. And thank you so much for joining us today here at the Quad City Podcast. Hey, our desire is that we would each look more and more like Jesus every day, week, month, and year. And we know that that doesn't just come from learning more about him and his word, but by actually applying it to our lives today. We hope that you take this message that you heard today and apply it to your life in a way that makes you honor him. Well, thanks again for joining us today. Be sure to download the Quad City app and we will see you again next time.